0: my life you know what i mean they could teach me stuff without me knowing that he's teaching me stuff and then blow my mind like he just did in this scene in the movie by saying oh you thought you were just waxing stuff but what i was doing was teaching you how to do this and do that you know um that'd just be awesome like my goal as as a pastor or a mentor helping training people is like one day to hit miyagi status that would just be awesome It would just be awesome to be able to do that. Just walk in. People come into a staff meeting, and they'd be like, hey, Pastor Josh. And I'd just be in there like, oh, what are you doing? Ah, crane technique. I never understood how if you did that, there was no way to defend against it. But it worked, probably because it was in the script in the movie, and it had to work that way. But apparently, that's just how... It worked. So, why? Because Mr. Miyagi said so. It had to be that way because Miyagi said so. But I've had people in my life, though, that have invested in me and have taught me a lot of things um, and showed me some stuff in life. Uh, One of those uh, people is my wife. She just taught me a lot about life. Um, Isn't it so awesome to have Pastor Donna Yarbrough leading worship this morning? Again, I love that. I love that. I love her. Her ministry and her teachings benefited my life. Um, He snuck in the back right now, but I just want to say welcome to our former pastor, Roland Yarbrough, who's here this morning. I've learned a lot from that guy in life. I've learned a lot from my staff. My kids teach me a lot. But I had a high school coach, high school football coach, that taught me a big life lesson that I've carried with me from high school until today. I played football in high school. And I know you look at me and go, "What?" And I know. Listen to I me. Mean, just this: every guy that played football in high school had the potential to go pro. When you talk to them, or most of them, you know, and they either had, well, I knew I wanted to start a family or this that. But when you talk about the glory days of high school football, like every every guy, it seems like was like, "Yeah, yeah, I was that team." And then you run into the you run into the Uncle Ricos. Um, it's like back in '82, I know if Coach would have put me in, we'd have won state. That would have gone on. That would have been something. I played in the NFL, you know, all that. So there's a lot of stuff tied back to high school football. But we were playing one game in particular, and I played back most of the time uh, on offense, and there was this guy who was just getting around our offensive line, and they couldn't touch him. They couldn't touch him. His first step was so quick, he was like grease lightning. He was just like, he was gone. They couldn't touch him. And he was one of those guys – I don't know what grade he was in But he was one of those that looked like he had been a senior For about four years in a row You know just like full grown man What in the world you got a beard and everything You're playing high school football Um, So he was getting around the line And the coach told me Line can't keep up with him He's your responsibility now When he comes through you got to stop him And I'm thinking I got to stop big guy Full grown man from coming in. So I said, okay, I'll do it. He's my assignment. And he'd get by the line every time. And I'd wait for him. And he'd come at me. And boom, i throw throw into him. And bow! he put me on my rear end every time. <laughs> every time. And he'd come across the line. And I'd be, all right, buddy, I got you this time. And I'd wait for him. And here he comes. And I'd dive into him. Bow! On the ground. I was slowing him down a little bit. But I wasn't stopping him. I wasn't stopping him, and it was helping some, and this went on for about a quarter, and finally my coach called me over, and he's like, Josh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting the crud beat out of me is what I'm doing. You got me assigned to stop Goliath over here. You know, he's just running all over me, and I'm just like, bam, bam. I'm going to be bruised up for months, and I've only been playing for a quarter, dude. And he said, what are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? I'm trying to stop him. I'm getting run over. He goes, exactly. You're waiting for him to run at you. What you need to do is run full speed into him and hit, you, hit him with everything that you got. And I thought, ah, that's an idea. That's an idea. So I line up, we get ready. It comes my time again to stop this guy. They're getting ready to snap the ball, and I hear the assistant coach who overheard the coach's conversation. We hear the, ins- the assistant coach over there, "Josh, get off the get-go!" Get off. I don't know why he's got an Aussie accent right now while I'm telling this to you. Get off the get-go. Get off the get-go. I'm like, that sounds weird, but I know what you mean. I'm going to get off the get-go. I'm going to get after this guy. Snapped the ball. He got around the line again. And, dude, I went at him with everything I had. And, bam! And you know what happened? I still bounced that way. <laughs> but he went the other way. And I thought, ah, There's something. There's something, and Coach told me, he said, listen, you can wait for people to come at you, or you can go on the offensive and go with them. And it works that way in life too, doesn't it, guys? Like We can sit around and wait for life to throw its punches at us, or we can be aggressive and go after life and try to bend life to operate on our terms as much as possible. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't be a victim of life and an overcomer at the same time. So we got to decide whether or not we're going to sit back and wait for life to come at us or if we're going to move forward as the overcomers that the Bible says that we can be and happen to life. And that doesn't mean life ain't going to throw punches at us. That means we're not going to take our hits. We're not going to get bruised up. But we're moving forward. We're moving forward as overcomers and not victims. And that's where God wants us to be in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right. All um, right. I was thinking what would be a really encouraging, really good scripture to illustrate this and bring it home today because I know this is what God is doing with us as a church today because I know there are people in here today that life has just been hammering you. I know that. I don't even have to have a conversation with you. I know it. Why? Because I know how the world works. But I know what God put on my heart to share with you this morning, too. Life's been happening. It's been hitting. It's been hitting. It's been hitting. And I'll encourage you this morning to overcome. And so one of the most encouraging verses I could come up with came from one of the most encouraging guys that ever wrote anything in the Bible. And his name is James. James is pretty blunt. James is not encouraging at all. He's got some encouraging stuff and good truth. But James is not like the cheerleader saying, you can do it, you can do it. James is the guy saying, get up and get busy. You know, he's that kind of guy. So James chapter 1, verse 2, reads like this. I want to share this with you guys. Uh, It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That doesn't make sense at all. Now, when I read this, and I was studying for this, I was like, what in the world is James thinking? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What, how is that supposed to work out? So when life is going crazy, I got all hell breaking out in my life. I'm supposed to consider it pure joy? I'm supposed to get excited about that? I'm supposed to be, I'm, I'm supposed to consider it joy when I get the phone call and they tell me they don't need me at work anymore and I'm suddenly unemployed? I'm supposed to consider it pure joy when I find out my kid has just absolutely lost their mind and done everything I've told them. not that's supposed to be pure joy. It's supposed to be pure joy when I go to the doctor, and he comes in with that face and says, "We need to talk about some stuff." Pure joy. When people talk about me, when they lie about me, when the truck breaks down, when stuff doesn't go i pure joy. I'm supposed to consider it pure joy. James has done lost his mind at first glance anyway. Like if I was going to choose to have joy about things in my life, it would be about stuff that would be fun, <laughs> stuff that would be exciting. Like if somebody walked up to me and said, Hey, Josh, I want to give you a new car that looks like this. The picture of the new car is going to hit the screen any moment now. Three, two, one, and boom. There it is. Now, somebody gave me a car like that, oh dude, that would be some joy. You know why? Because that's like $180 something thousand dollars worth of. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, you can hit the. You, you could just, you, man, I would have so much fun with that. I, I would need to sell it after I'd driven it for a month because, my, uh, dude, I would have maxed out my points on my license. I'd have been pay, taking out a second mortgage to pay the tickets because that would be so much fun. But if somebody gave you, maybe not this car, but the, your dream car, would you not get excited over something like that? Yeah. That made me joyous. you know. Or somebody said, hey, um, I just felt like I wanted to give you a dream vacation so I'm going to send you to a beach paradise, a beach paradise that looks like this. Just you and your significant other. Kids are an option. If you want to take them, that's fine. Me and my wife with a sunset and the waves at that place, ah, that would be fun. That would be so much fun. Or you know what? Maybe not the beach. Maybe we'll send you to a mountain paradise. A mountain paradise in the snow with the fire. Oh, my goodness. I would get so excited over that. Are you kidding me? Sign me up. Sign me up. I'm getting excited right now. These are just pictures on the screen, you know, or if that's not, that's not good enough, let's send you to a place that almost seems like a fantasy world where you can see the northern lights that looks like this. Dude, oh, my goodness. I would love I would love, if somebody said, here, here's this for free, I would get excited over that. That would make me joyous. That would make me joyous. Not the phone call that says, we don't need you anymore, but the guy that says, I want to send you here, let's say a month. Let's say a month. Wouldn't that be awesome? And I pay your bills while you're gone too, so all you have to do is just focus on having fun. (sighs) Please, God, let that person come into my life. All of our lives right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right? That would be so awesome. Or if somebody walked up to to you or to me and said, hey, you know what? I've been playing the lotto, and I won. I just thought it would be fun to give you $10 million just to see what you would do with it. (laughs) I would get excited over that. Oh my goodness! I get so excited over that. I would be—you know what I could do with ten million. You know what you could do with ten million dollars? First thing on your list is probably quit work, right? <laughs> no more work, no more traffic, no more. No, uh-uh. and then you probably go to one of those dream vacation spots that we just saw, right? Ten million dollars would fix all of that. I would get excited if somebody gave me if somebody gave me ten million dollars. Hmm. Josh would go on a vacation for about six weeks. And then, dude, we would start busting loose with ministry in this church. It would be amazing. I would get excited over something like that. That would give me some joy. Now, that would make sense. What James is saying makes no sense at all. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I'm like, have you lived life, James? I mean, really. Do you not think stuff like that? When you read Scripture, I'm like, Wow. How in the world is that possible? Because it seems like the polar opposite of how I'm supposed to respond when stuff doesn't go right in my life. It's like James is giving bad advice here. Like, you ever have that, that family member that always gives bad advice? You know, they, they're in, in every family just about. It's that one one uncle or that granddad or somebody that's just going to speak into every situation or that cousin. They don't know anything about anything, but they're an expert on everything. You know, I tell you what, if it was me, I'd do it this way right here. You know, it, <laughs> that, just bad, bad, bad advice. Like, I know one guy who, um, who... <laughs> He was riding as a kid on the little spin wheel thing on the playground. goes around and around and around, you know. He was on that thing. And it went around so many times, he got dizzy and started getting sick. So he had a buddy who told him, I know how to fix it. Get back on there. We'll just spin you in the opposite direction. <laughs> and it'll undo everything, and you'll be fine. That's bad advice. That's bad advice. There's one guy who was learning how to drive as a teenager. His dad was teaching him, and... uh so they, they pull up to a four way stop, and the dad's like, Okay, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. He pulls up, and he's getting ready to turn left, so he reaches for the blinker, and the dad goes, Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh, uh-uh. don't touch that. Well, why not? It's none of these people's business where we're going. <laughs> That's bad advice. That's bad advice. To me, that would make about as much sense as what James is saying here to consider it pure joy. Has anybody just sat back and thought, I am so happy? that all hell is breaking loose in my life right now. I just can't wait for something else to happen in my life. I can't wait until I wake up one day and my life looks like the life of Job where there's one person after another coming to me to tell me everything's falling apart. Everybody you know is dying. It's just, we're doomed. I can't wait for that because I'm going to be so excited when that day comes. Nobody else? Me either, first glance. Doesn't make sense at all doesn't make sense at all. Maybe, though, maybe, though, we should read a little bit further. Maybe we cut James off before he's finished his thought. Maybe it's not just so much about being excited when things happen in our lives. Maybe there's something else to this. In James 1, verse 3, after saying, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. ah, oh, He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That still doesn't seem like it's something to get excited about. I mean, perseverance. Perseverance implies that you're going through something, right? But you got to overcome something. That. That It doesn't quite make sense to me, though. Have joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So James is telling us to be happy when we go through stuff because we're going to grow through the process. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say be happy. He said consider it pure joy. Pure joy. I did a little bit of digging, and joy here has an interesting meaning. Joy here means calm, delight, and exceeding gladness. He's saying when you're facing trials of, many, of, of all kinds, and you're, you're just, it's just breaking loose in your life, be calm and delight in it, and then be exceedingly glad because of it? That's insane at first glance. Because our initial emotional response is going to be, oh my goodness, why? And maybe that's what he's getting at here is that what we initially experience emotionally isn't the factor. Maybe we have to have a more mature response to what happens in our life than what's the surface level response that we want to have. Are you with me? Because he said in James 3, or James 1 verse 3, he said, he said, because you know, you know that what's happening is creating perseverance, and when perseverance does its work, you're going to be equipped to be mature and complete Not lacking anything for what God has called you to do, who God has called you to be, based on what we know. That implies perspective, doesn't it? What James is saying here is, is, guys, we got to have a little bit of perspective. A little bit of perspective here. Because it's not about what's necessarily happening in our lives because that does matter. We have to get to the point where we're able to look beyond what we're initially finding ourselves in and look down the road from perspective and based on what we know from Scripture on how God works and what he's done in our lives, we can stand on perspective and we say, I know what the Bible says, so regardless of what's happening in my life right now, I know what scripture says and I know how faithful God is, so I know that the end result is going to have me in a better place than I'm finding myself in now. Amen. Am I preaching yet this morning? Yeah. So James is throwing some grown-up stuff. He's throwing some grown-up stuff. He's saying, consider it pure joy. Even though all hell is breaking loose in your life, God has got the ability to take all hell breaking loose in your life and use what's happening circumstantially in your life to mold you and shape you and grow you into the person that he wants you to be and work it all out for your benefit and your good. Dude, James is preaching a little bit this morning. Let me ask you a question, though. In your life right now, do you have joy in your life today? Good. Come on. Do you have joy in your life today? Because this is how God works, at least according to Scripture. God likes to take what we experience in life and take us over to his own little forge and work on us a little bit. Are you hearing me? Now, it's not that God creates every circumstance that we face in life because we know that's not true. All right. We can find ourselves in situations for a lot of different reasons. One, jacked-up stuff happens to us in life because we live in a jacked-up world. It's fallen into sin, all kinds of stuff, sickness, disease. All that stuff exists because of sin in the world, and we have very little control over that. So sometimes stuff just happens. Sometimes we go through stuff because of the consequences of decisions and actions of other people. We don't have much control over that, you know, other than to choose carefully who we surround ourselves with. But you know what? We all pay a certain amount in taxes every year because somebody else decided that was a good thing. Good grief, man, just coffee in one conversation. We fix it forever. But it doesn't work that way. So, so that does it. now. And we also we go through stuff because we create the situations ourselves. Just be honest. We've created enough trouble in our own lives to keep us busy and finding a way out of it. You know, a lot of it before Jesus. But even after Jesus has worked in our lives, man, we can create some scenarios. And then sometimes God will put us in a corner through life situations to get our attention. He will. So there's some factors at play at that. But regardless of the cause of the situation or the circumstance, God is able to take it, James is saying, and work on us through the process of going through it to make us a little bit more like Him. To mature us into the person that He's called us to be. To shape us and mold us and develop us through persevering through the trials of life. To equip us through anything that happens if we have the right perspective. To step into what he's called us to do with our lives. Now this right here isn't fun. That's not fun. Or maybe it could be joyous. if We got the right perspective. John chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 says it like this. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, I'm the true, fi- to the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So if you're not doing anything for God, you're going to get cut. But if you're doing something for God, he's going to cut you too. Either way, you're going to get cut. That's exciting, isn't it? Jesus, come on, let's paint a little bit better picture here. This isn't, you know... But what he's saying is there's a pruning process in life that we've got to go through, and he'll cut us back. I brought some pruners, old school, as it were. Jesus gets to working on us and pruning us through stuff we go through in life. Mm -mm -mm, Trim this back, trim this back. Like in a service like this, we're like, Lord, mold me, shape me, make me anything you want me to be. And then God says, okay, let's start chopping on that anger. Let's get that. Let's start chopping on that right there. But, you know, these are one thing. Like, anger is like, that's a general thing. But when God starts breaking out these jokers, and he goes from the broad cuts to the real specific stuff and starts cutting in there, whoo, anger, yeah, we're going to chop that anger. But let's get right down to it. Let's talk about how you haven't forgiven your dad yet. Let's talk about that offense you've been carrying for 15 years because somebody did you wrong in church. Let's get in there and cut that. Anger, yeah, let's get down to the cause of it. Let's get into that root of bitterness, that unforgiveness. Let's find out what that situation was. <laughs> These right here, God can get very specific sometimes, can he? But we know this from Scripture, that every time he cuts, we become more fruitful and productive in our lives if we allow him to have his way and shape us into who he wants us to be. Amen? When he gets in there, you start driving down the road, 5 o'clock traffic, and you know you've got about an hour and a half of getting to know yourself ahead of you. Here we go. time to work it's time to work on you a little bit right here so you lose the job and finances get tight and you got to step into a new level of dare I say the t-word trust in God to be your provider instead of freaking out and trying to solve the problem on your own and carrying the own the weight of the whole situation instead of giving it to God doing your part, but allowing him to be the provider in your life. You know what I mean? God is able to take all those situations and develop us through it if we keep the right perspective. Now, if we're not careful when he's doing this and we're in this process, it's really easy to become extremely frustrated if we don't have the right perspective, see, if we don't take James's advice and say, you know what, we need to look past what's happening and know that God is working down the road to make me a better person through the situation that I'm in right now. It can be, it's easy to become frustrated if you're not careful because life just, just doesn't usually just throw one punch at you, right? It's like a combo. And then when you're reeling from the first combo, here comes an uppercut. Because when life starts hitting, the enemy's usually pretty good about capitalizing on that opportunity and trying to wreak havoc in your life at about the same time. Am I lying? That's how he operates. So it's it's real easy to become frustrated sometimes when life isn't working the way we want it to because we all have our ideas of how our lives are supposed to be. And we've all had times when we thought, you know what? Especially early on in life, when I get into life, I'm going to do this and accomplish this and accomplish that and do that. How many of you would say that your life has turned out exactly the way that you wanted it to? I don't see any hands. I don't see any. Life doesn't cooperate, does it? You're constantly adjusting and dealing with the issues. And listen, I got news for you. God seldom takes us on the path that we would choose for ourselves. He seldom takes us on a path that we would choose for ourselves. Why? Because we would always take the easy way out if we had the choice. God's not not always concerned with making us happy and making sure that we got a smile on our face. He's in the business of growing us up into the people that he's called us to be. He wants to see us develop and grow, and he's a master at being Mr. Miyagi and working through those situations to get us where he wants us to be regardless of the cause of the situation in our life. Make sense? One of the best examples of this in Scripture, hands down, hands down is Joseph. Joseph's life is like the textbook of how things can go wrong and you still end up in the right place. How if you trust God through a crazy journey, he can develop you on the way and get you to the place where he said he would get you in life. Joseph, uh, if you got a church background, you know Joseph. Joseph, um, if, you, if you don't have a church background, you, you might not know much about Joseph. Joseph was a guy uh, we know about in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, who um, had some dreams and visions that God showed him. And it was, it was pretty, pretty powerful stuff. People were bowing down to him. The moon and the stars were bowing down to him, and family was bowing down to him, and, and, and all of that stuff. And you know, eventually, Joseph was going to end up as being the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. And basically, what he was becoming was the second most powerful person in the organized world at the time, because Egypt ruled pretty much everything at that time. So that's where Joseph was heading. But if you look at Joseph's life, though, all the stuff that happened along the way— Doesn't really add up with where God was taking him in the long run, right? But we had the benefit of looking at the life of Joseph from perspective. From outside looking in and seeing what would happen. It's completely different sometimes when you're in the situation going through it. Amen? So in Genesis uh, chapter 37, starting in verse 5, I just want to do some highlights of the story of Joseph real fast, just to show you how God can work and move in our lives. Genesis 37, 5. Um, Joseph was a guy whose dad loved him a little bit more than he loved his other brothers, and it was really obvious he gave him favor that he didn't give to his other brothers, and his brothers absolutely hated him. God begins to speak to Joseph. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, it says that they hated him even more. Joseph's story starts with like a dysfunctional family situation. Hashtag family. That's awesome. You ever deal with some crazy people in your family? And Joseph had to deal with that. So it starts with that. These guys hate Joseph because of the favor that he had. And they begin to hate him even more because he begins to share his dreams and the call of God on his life. Even though he doesn't really understand it to the full just yet. You know, sometimes it's better when God speaks to you just to let it sit on your spirit and keep it to yourself. Instead of mouthing it off to everybody because you could avoid a whole lot of trouble sometimes. Joseph didn't know that yet. So anyway, Genesis 37, verses 17 and 18, uh, something else happens. Joseph's brothers are out watching the flocks, and Joseph's dad says, Hey, I want you to go out there, see what they're doing, and then come back and report to me and let me know what these knuckleheads are up to It's basically what he's saying. And uh, so Joseph goes out there, and he's hunting down his brother's. And he's looking for him and he comes across this guy. And he's asking where they went. And the man says, They've moved on from here. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Now you already know this story is going to be messed up because it's taking place in Alabama. <laughs> I can say that because I am from Alabama. Oh, hallelujah. So he goes looking for him near Dothan, but when they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Well, this just went to a whole new level. They hated the guy so much, they're plotting to kill him. And so they say, here's what what we're going to do. We're going to throw him down in the cistern. We're going to kill him, throw his dead body in the cistern, cover it up, and we're going to go back and we're going to tell Dad that this wild animal just killed him and there was nothing we could do about it. And, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Well, one of his brothers kind of talked him off that ledge and said, no, let's not do that. And while they were talking, um, this caravan of Ishmaelites came by, and they had this brilliant idea. And they thought, hey, instead of killing the guy, let's make some money off of him. And then we'll still tell Dad that he got killed. We'll be done with him, and we'll have some change in our pocket. And they're all like, yeah, that's a great idea. So they sell Joseph to this caravan that goes by, sell him as a slave. They get the money, they go back, they tell the dad the story. Dad's heartbroken, but Joseph has now found himself in a situation where he's sold as a slave to some people he doesn't know, and he's getting hauled to a country that he wasn't born in. This is a bad situation. But in Genesis 39, verse 1 and 2, you kind of see... Begin to see God working just a little bit in the situation. It says that Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. What nation was Joseph eventually going to become the second most powerful person in? Egypt. So, in order for Joseph to get to Egypt, Joseph had to get to Egypt. Yeah. Amen. Now, it might not have been the way he would have chosen it to happen, but God was able to take a situation that was meant to harm him and position him to get him into the place where he needed him to be to accomplish what he had called him to do. Now I want to encourage you this morning, you might be in a situation where it seems like all hell is breaking loose in your life, and you feel like you're out of place and you're out of rhythm, but if you step back and you look and you approach it with the right perspective, maybe you'll find that God is working in your life to position you for what he's called you to do with your life, and you're just not seeing it just yet. So he begins to work to get Joseph into Egypt through a bad situation. And then look what happens here. He ends up in Egypt, the house of a guy named Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. He bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So in a bad situation... God was with Joseph and caused him to prosper. Interesting. You know what's neat is that Potiphar was an official of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. Now, the captain of the guard, that's a very unique position. There's a lot of interpretations on what his role may have been at that time. But Potiphar, from what most uh, theologians will agree... What was happening at the time historically, Potiphar um, oversaw um, the, over, the bigger prison systems of, of Egypt. He would have overseen the security force of Egypt, and he would have had a military role in Egypt as probably a ranking commander, some people think. But he was heavily involved in the police force, peacekeeping, and those systems in Egypt. Now, my question is this. If you are eventually going to become the second most powerful person in Egypt with respect to Pharaoh, don't you think at some point you're going to have to have some kind of understanding of how that system would work in the country? Don't you think that somewhere along the way you're going to have to learn how the police force works, how the security forces work, how the defense systems are set up for the, for the city, and how the military would, would function at certain times, and how the ranks and all that stuff would work. Where do you think one of the best places to learn how all that works would be? Probably hanging out with the captain of the guard. Wouldn't you think? See, when it looked like all chaos was breaking out in Joseph's life and he was sold into slavery, God was just working and molding and shaping and preparing and equipping for what he was going to do long term. As a slave, God was using that circumstance to prepare Joseph for what he was going to do later on in life. That's crazy, isn't it? Maybe you're in a spot where you feel like it's all falling apart, but if you'll stop and you'll get perspective, you'll see that maybe God's not punishing you. Maybe he's preparing you for something greater that he wants you to do later on in life. So don't get discouraged and don't get frustrated. The cool thing about Joseph's story is it doesn't really end there. you guys know, he goes on, continues in Potiphar's house for a while, and then he comes across a bad situation in Potiphar's house, and it's Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife had a condition, and we know from the Greek interpretation of the condition that she had, the Greek interpretation is hoe. Okay? Potiphar's wife was a hoe. So Potiphar's wife, the ho, everybody say ho, go ahead and say it, say ho. Say ho, get it out of your system. So so Potiphar's wife sets her eyes on Joseph. The Bible says Joseph was handsome. Potiphar's wife wanted some Joseph. So Joseph was working in the house one day, and here comes Potiphar's wife, and she sees Joseph in there alone. She looks around, there's nobody else around. She's like, here's my opportunity. I'm going to get me some Joseph So she walks in there And she walks over to the stereo And cuts it on Oh yeah Joseph's like what in the world Put that head around And there she is What's up big boy What's up big boy Uh, Oh my goodness It just got crazy in the church this morning Didn't it Y'all didn't know this was going to happen Joseph didn't know either. Joseph didn't know either. He got blindsided by this. Potiphar's wife came in and threw this at him, and Joseph said, Ah! We're going to have to put the brakes on this. Check out his response. In Genesis 39.9, Joseph says this. He says, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not Potiphar, God. See, Joseph had gone through a ton of bad experiences, was in a bad situation, but Joseph hadn't turned his back on God. Now, I want to encourage you today. You might be going through some stuff, and you might be in a situation where you feel like maybe maybe God has turned his back on you. I want to encourage you. He has not turned his back on you. Don't you turn your back on him. Keep him first. I love this because even though Joseph was going through it, he never gave up on God. And God was blessing him along the way. So, Potiphar's wife says, you don't want anything to do with me. She didn't understand That no means no. She went in to grab Joseph. And Joseph was like, no, ho. And she grabbed his coat. And was getting ready to to force him into it. And he said, no. So he took off running. Left his coat in there. Left his robe in there. He took off running naked out of the house. Joseph is the first recorded uh, streaker that we have in Scripture. He takes off running. But can you imagine being the gardener outside the house? And you hear, no. And then here comes naked guy running. Is that, I've never seen anything like that before. I don't know. What was that? I don't know. He Shot by like a streak. It was called a streaker. That's how it started, just like that. So he says no, runs out. Potiphar's wife makes up this story and accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Oh, oh man. Potiphar finds out about it Genesis 39, verse 19. When his master had heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Joseph found himself in a more complicated situation. Listen to this. Because he chose to do the right thing. He chose to honor God. Now, there's a big myth that goes around in church circles that says that if you serve God and you honor Him and you put Him first and you do the right things, then God will always bless you and you will never have issues in your life. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie because you can do the right thing and still end up in a bad situation. You know? That's why we got to be careful because, man, there's an accusation like that. She said Joseph her. maybe... Maybe tried to rape her. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. You know, it, it is the epitome of arrogance to cast judgment on a situation that we don't have all the information for. So you can't look at somebody's life because they're going through something and think that it's happening just because they did something wrong. Because sometimes you can do everything right and still find yourself in a place where you're having to go through it. And that's where Joseph was. But even after that. He still operated in the favor of God. God gave him favor because Joseph didn't turn his back on God. He found himself in a place where the king's prisoners were kept. I love that because the king's prisoners was a special group of prisoners. All right? They went to a prison separate from the deep, dark dungeons of Egypt where the hardcore criminals went. The king's, the king's prison, where the king's prisoners went, this is where political officers were sent. These were pe- where people in the king's court were sent to do time if they made Pharaoh mad. Okay, They would go there. The, the majority of the people that were in this place were political in nature and political in their role. Let me ask you a question. If you're Joseph, and eventually you're going to become the second most powerful person in Egypt and the world. But you cut your teeth in some field with too much favor from your dad and didn't have big world experience. Somewhere along the way, if you're going to operate in that role in Egypt, you're going to have to learn the political landscape of Egypt. Somewhere along the way, you're going to have to learn the political culture of the nation that you're going to step into. How things operate, how things work, who does what, how this flows, how this, how that. Isn't it amazing that you can see that even after being accused falsely and thrown into prison, God was still putting Joseph in a place where he could be equipped and trained to step into the position that he was going to be in all along? Isn't that amazing? Maybe that uncomfortable situation you're finding yourself in isn't God grinding on you. Maybe it's God preparing you. Maybe it's God growing you. Maybe this is what James is talking about, that when we go through trials, if we have the right perspective, we can see God preparing us all along. It's crazy. So Joseph's in this prison for a while. A couple of dudes drop in, had to do a little bit of time. One of them is a a cupbearer, and the other one is a baker. And they did something to aggravate Pharaoh. We don't really know what they did. But both of them have dreams. And Joseph's got this gift of being able to interpret dreams. God gives him the interpretation. He gives the interpretation. So so Joseph says, hey, I know what's going to happen. Cupbearer, things are going to work out great for you. Baker, stinks to be you, dude. You're going to die. Joseph looks at this guy and he says, promise me this, Mr. Cupbearer. Promise me that when you're restored in your position in Pharaoh's court that you remember me. And the cupbearer's like, yeah, man, I got you. I got you. A few days later, he gets restored, and you know what happens? He doesn't remember Joseph. Genesis 41.1 reads this. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. Now, some crazy stuff started happening in Pharaoh's dream. Like, it was crazy. Cows were eating cows and all kinds of messed up stuff like that. Like, I don't know what he had ate the night before, but there was some crazy stuff happening in Pharaoh's dream, and it bugged him. And, and he had, he's like, i got to go find somebody to tell me what this means. Nobody could tell him what it means. And then the cupbearer was like, oh, snap. Um, I know a guy, I know a guy, uh, I was supposed to tell you about him a couple of years ago, but I forgot, I forgot. Yeah, he's in prison, and he can probably give you a good interpretation of that. But Joseph has sat in that jail for two years, for two years, forgotten. And maybe you're in here today and you've been sitting in the same situation and the same circumstance that at least in your calendar, and your clock, you feel like God should have done something by now. A door should have been opened by now. And maybe you're here and you're feeling forgotten by God. And I'm telling you today, God has not forgotten about you. God has his eye on you. You, are, you, are, you have not escaped his eye. And what's going on in your life has not caught him by surprise. He still loves you. He still loves you. And if you don't turn your back on him, he's always going to be faithful, regardless. Whether you do or not, he's always going to be faithful to you. But if you stay with him, he'll get you. Two years, guys. Two years, that's a long time to be forgotten. So Joseph gets called up from the prison. And he talks to Pharaoh, gives him the interpretation of his dream. And says, hey, there's a famine coming. Here's what we're going to need to do to prepare for the famine. Do this, do this, do this, and do this. And I think we'll be okay. He drops all the strategy and wisdom on them. And they're like, holy cow, this is just amazing. And then Joseph drops this line. In Genesis 41:33. Joseph says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man, and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Talk about saying the right thing at the right time. Joseph was like at this in-between place where he looked back at all that had happened to him, and he stood at the doorway of everything that God was fixing to move him into. And the experience that Joseph had gained along the way became the key that unlocked the door that led into the calling and destiny that God had for his life. All right? Joseph paid attention along the way. Where do you think Joseph picked up the strategy that he laid out and said, we should do this, we should do that, we should set this stuff aside? Could it be hanging out with people that develop strategies all the time? Where do you think Joseph got savvy enough to drop a line like this. Well, let Pharaoh pick somebody who's wise and discerning and put him in charge of all of this stuff for him. Boy, is that not like a politically savvy line right there? I don't want to read too much into Scripture, but it makes sense because along the way, God had been preparing Joseph to step into that role. Joseph never turned his back on God, and God was always faithful to Joseph. Now I get... Now I get what James was talking about. Is it making a little more sense? Now I get what James was talking about in James 1 verse 2 where he says, "'Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters,' Whenever you face trials of many kinds because God is preparing you along the way. And if you keep the right perspective and learn the lessons that he's trying to teach you through the situations that you're walking through, it's going to equip you to become mature and complete, not lacking anything in your walk with him. So when you stand in front of him at the end of time, he'll look at you and say, Come on in, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do, the way I asked you to do it. James is dropping some powerful truth on us. And it hinges on perspective. And it's not just James. It's not just James. Paul chimes in on this in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Paul puts it like this. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God is always working in the situations to produce the result that he needs to happen in our lives. Maybe not what we would choose for ourselves, but what he needs to happen to produce to produce the growth in us to get us to where he wants us to be so we can function properly in his calling. For our lives. Now that's good truth right there. That's good truth right there. I mean stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. How. How would we be able to see. That God was a healer. If we didn't have to deal with sickness and disease. That we needed to be healed from. You hearing me. How. How would we know that God is a provider unless we walked through seasons where we needed him to be that provision in our lives to see him come through? Dave, if you will, please come play. How would would we see him in those roles? How How could we know God is a way maker unless we were in a situation where there was no way out of it? How could he be a deliverer for us unless we were in a situation that we needed to be delivered from? See, we love the story of Moses crossing the Red Sea after God split it, but Moses didn't see it that way when it was happening necessarily. Moses was leading over a million people to a sea, and here comes Pharaoh's army. He's got an obstacle and a bad situation coming on top of him. Now, if those two factors weren't at play, he never would have been able to stand there with his staff and say, boom, and see God split it as the wind blew overnight. Are you hearing me? The things that we face in our lives, God uses to train and prepare us, but the things that we face in our lives, God uses to show himself faithful because he's always working for the good. I could go on all day like this. When Jesus died on the cross it messed the disciples up because they had an idea of how Jesus' ministry was supposed to work. But God had a different plan. God's plan is always better, guys. And seeing their Savior bloodied and beaten, dying on a cross, when he breathed his last breath, it rocked their world because in their minds, they thought it was over. They thought it was over. But from God's perspective, you can't have a resurrection without a death. You can't have a death without a cross. You can't go to the cross without being betrayed. See, those are bad situations and bad circumstances. But God's got a way of working through bad stuff in our life to produce His goal and what He wants. And I want to encourage you guys this morning because I know that there are people in here that are going through situations in your life and you feel like, literally, you feel like you don't see the way. And that's because God's about to show Himself as a way maker. You see, in a place, you're in a season where you you need provision in your life and you're getting frustrated because it's not happening on your team timetable God doesn't operate on our timetable but he will be the provider in our lives amen we have got to understand we have got to understand that we've got to have perspective to look past where we are right now on an emotional level and choose to operate by what we know Scripture says, not by how we feel because of what's happening in our lives. And when we get that perspective and we can operate in that maturity, then we're going to be able to see down the road and know that God has already worked out the solution to our problems. The deal is we're just not there yet. And if we'll stay faithful to him, he'll continue to provide and get us where he wants us to be. But we can't step out of the process, church. Amen. Amen. Some of of the best growth I've ever had in my life wasn't in a powerful service where God was moving. And I felt Him speak specifically to me. And some of the most powerful times of the growth of my life haven't been necessarily because He spoke to me directly from His Word. Because God will speak to you through His Spirit. He'll speak to you through His Word. And He'll use other people to encourage you. The best growth I've ever experienced personally has always come by God working on me through a process of maturing through a combination of all of those things worked out in practical application in my life and I want to encourage you today not to give up on that process Not to step out of it. To trust God. And allow him to do in your life what he needs to do in your life. So that he can produce the growth that he wants to see. Whether you caused it or not. Whether it's just life happening or not. Whether he specifically got you in something by his design or not doesn't matter the end result of every situation according to James our response is to go into it full of joy because we know God is going to develop us and work it out so that we come out better on the other side even if it's just when we breathe our last breath and we stand before him and hear him say those words good and faithful servant now those are words that I want to hear how about you amen stand to your feet